subway service cutbacks starting January 1st to trim the budget. Mayor Beam meets with Carter, says President-elect will do all he can to help New York City financially. And that's the 9 o'clock news. John Wingate reporting. Next news, as always on the station, the moment it happens. When it happens, we get there. Fast. Next schedule news, I'll be back with you at 11 o'clock tonight. Is he there? Oh, he just made the studio door in time. Music all set? Okay, Gene Shepard.
and uh, one of the oh, I tell you, I have seen seen some things, and I uh, I submit to you that one of the great American traditions. Now, I don't know whether this is worldwide. I only say it's American because it's I'm an American. I know about this. Uh, one of the great American traditions is the habit of American companies of firing guys just before Christmas. <laughs> now, that, have you noticed this? Uh, Corny knows. It's the truth. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget, there were some, some fantastic scenes that I have seen along this line. I remember one time going to a Christmas party that I was, uh, I was, uh, you know, a big company Christmas party, and I was just a kid. I was just there because uh, I was uh, like, uh, you know, the male boy. And uh, I was just in the back of the crowd. And I didn't know about these things. See, at that time, I always just thought Christmas party was Christmas party. You know, and you go and you, 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 you drink the eggnog and you eat the cookies. And uh, you talk to the girls from the typing pool. And uh, you have a good time. And uh, uh, Santa Claus uh, makes an appearance. And then you go home. You know, the old company. Well, I want to tell you. I was uh, there in the middle of the party when uh, all of a sudden a scene happened right there. A, a guy was fired at the Christmas party. You ever seen that done? Now, that's style. Guy was fired right at the Christmas party. You've seen it? Well, I'm glad you, I'm not the only one because I actually saw it. And, and, and it was a, an, a, another kid from the mailroom, see? There, was, we were, there were six of us in the mailroom. And uh, we, were, we were male boys. And I remember it was Freddie Roller. And uh, Freddie and I, uh, I, you know, he wasn't particularly friendly, but he just worked in the mailroom with me. So we're, we're, uh, we're at the party, and, and uh, I walk over to the place where they're ladling out the, uh, the eggnog, and I had this eggnog thing. And, and the Freddie comes along, and he's got a thing full of eggnog. And I said, uh, gee, uh, uh, well, you know, it's a great party, isn't it, Freddie? He says, yeah, for you. I said, what do you mean? What, what, what the hell? It's a great party. He says, I just got fired. I said, Fired? Yeah, Mr. Moss, I walked into the party and Mr. Moss says, oh, by the way, as long as uh, you're here, Freddie, I meant to tell you, I was going to tell you Monday, but as long as you're here, you don't have to come in. You're fired. I said, at the Christmas party? He says, yeah. Well, I assume, of course, that that was just uh, uh, one of the aberrations of Mr. Moss, who, by the way, was a blood brother to Scrooge. Nevertheless, uh, uh, you know, this, I just, you just got to accept the fact that this is the time of the firing. Uh, and there's a lot of guys listening tonight who drive along may have their car radios on who do not know it. See, that's part of that, that interesting uh, firing scene of the Christmas period is that it, it sneaks up and they never tell you, you know. They're not going to tell you beforehand because that would kill all the joy. I mean, uh, it's, it's quite obvious that, the, that they, they, they get a guy right in the middle of his, his joyful moment, shoot him down just as his plumage is at its best when his tail is at his bushiest. This is the actual drive of the true hunter. He doesn't shoot a sitting sick bird, right? No, sir. Get the lion when he's charging. Right. So that's that's what the story is. Well, uh, yes. <laughs> that roar. Give me a little roar, please. A little echo chamber. I want to roar a little bit. I feel like it. <laughs> You're fired! Get out of here! Don't ever touch on my sword again, you bum! I don't know why the hell they argue in the first place. Thank you, thank you. That, that felt good. I just wanted to get it off my chest. Ah, <sighs> good. Yes, sir. Uh, very few people, uh, this incidentally speaking of firing, this is WOR New York. 
Well, it's uh, just about that time again. It's almost Christmas, and that means that it's time for WOR's Children's Christmas Fund campaign again. And uh, this is Gene Shepard inviting you to contribute a dime or a dollar or whatever you can afford to this great charity where toys are distributed to kids in hospitals throughout the New York area during Christmas time, and it's a great charity. So send your money to WOR Children's Christmas Fund, Box 710, New York, 10036. Rally Fair, New Jersey's famous discount department store, smash everyday prices on famous brand toys. Mattel, Aurora, Ideal, Parker Brothers, Ding Dong, Milton Bradley, Whoopi, Mecco, Schnaper, and many more. What is a Schnaper toy? Sounds like something you buy if you're a surgeon. You know, to take out the adenoids or something. There, give me the Schnaper, please. We have him going now. Over 100 brand-name TV-advertised toys and games are being price-lowered during this Christmas season. So get down to Valley Fair. Oh, it's a Schnaper, you drive it, says here. You drive it yourself. No, I don't know what it does. <laughs> it's got paddles on it. Famous for bargains for over 27 years. Little pontoons on the bottom there, you know. It's amphibious. It's open seven days a week for your shopping convenience, Valley Fair. So, where are these Valley Fair symposia going on? Hillsdale, they're in Jersey. Hillsdale, Irvington, Little Ferry, Little Whoopi, Ding Dong, Fairfield, North Plainfield, South Plainfield, East Plainfield, Middle Plainfield, Jersey City, Union, West Patterson, Little Falls, Big Falls, and Medium Falls. It's all there. Well, are you a, a big man, a tall man, a short, squat, fatso? Well, then there's only one place in all the world where you can get the authentic He-Man look. And that's at a He-Man shop. How's that for a sexist line? Because America's foremost makers style and tailor the clothing and furnishings to He-Man specifications. <laughs> so when you choose a suit or a sports jacket or slacks, uh, it'll really fit. And it's uh, all kinds of new great designs, and it's all right on the target. So if you're a big or a tall man, remember the only place to get the He-Man touch is in a He-Man shop. And they're in East Brunswick in Jersey, for example, on Route 18, Brooklyn, Huntington, Paramus, Forest Hills, Sheepshead Bay, and Scarsdale, Yonkers area. So you're not in a He-Man shop unless it says so. That's the copy. Well, would you like to really tie one on? A fantastic celebration, New Year's Eve. How about spending a New Year's Eve weekend party at the St. Moritz on the Park Hotel, 50 Central Park South, they start right out with a New Year's Eve dinner dance, champagne at midnight, and then you can snuggle under the blankets after the ball is over. Oh, what could be lovelier? And then you wake up New Year's to a full American buffet breakfast in the quadrille room. And the checkout time's been extended until 3. The whole thing. New Year's Eve dinner served from 8 p.m. to midnight, dancing till 2. And the menu includes red snapper, Cornish game hen, butterfly filet mignon, and it's $65 per person, the whole thing, based on double occupancy. The St. Moritz's New Year's Eve party weekend includes everything, taxes, food, and beverage gratuities. So you better reserve today. St. Moritz reservations. Call them at Area 212. That's Area 212. That's St. Moritz. They say you insist on pronouncing it St. That's 212 Plaza 5, 5800. You better do it now. Hold the canned fruit cocktail part two by Henry Gibson. Life would sure be dull and pale without a can of fruit cocktail. 
Those five grapefruit and tasty bites are my stomach's bill of rights. The flavors come on good and strong. They make a ham break out in song. In salads, molded, tossed, or iced. Fruit cocktails topped and nicely priced. Canned fruit cocktail, it's time you knew. I'm trying to get in stuck on you. Yeah, gee, that's a beautiful little poem. Uh, come into uh, the Pathmark Savings Center for good low prices on your canned fruits and uh, pick out a whole selection to have on hand for the holidays if you've got a canned fruit freak in your house. Another good holiday idea is bowls of nuts, dates, and other dried fruits. And the ideal place to get them is Pathmark. Never mind Greenwich Avenue. So, Pathmark, come in and save. Save, There's a trio of Rondelay cheeses and they're great entertainers. There's spiced cheese with garlic and herbs, Oh Naturel plain, and Rondelay spiced cheese with pepper. These Rondelay cheeses are delicately flavored in the French tradition, but popularly priced. So you can serve Rondelay at party time or any time on a cracker with your favorite drink or as a snack. Rondelay cheeses so good so many ways. Rondelay cheeses are in your grocer's dairy case. Let's face it, there are a hell of a lot more fireees than firers. This is the nature of, uh, of the law of the jungle. It is a fact that there are a lot more, uh, lot more badgers a lot more woodchucks and weasels than there are lions. And not many weasels get a chance to stalk a lion and eat him up. It's the other way around, right? Invariably, there are no exceptions. And so I, I would uh, submit to you that there are a lot more fire-ease than fire-ers. He who gets fired is not the same as he who gives the mitten. Right? So, <laughs> as a public service for all of you out there uh, who have uh, always felt this lack in your life of the, uh, you know, the sense of power of being able to tell somebody else that he is no longer not only not wanted, but he damn well better get out quick being in charge. As part of our vast public service, we will do this for you. Uh, uh, speak along with us here. Give me a little echo chamber. Uh, Smithers, uh, you're fired. Fire. 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 Now, this there's other styles. There's other styles, you know. Some of the styles are direct. Uh, in fact, I, I knew uh, I knew a master firer at one time. His entire his entire career was based on firing people. You know, firing people is very unpleasant for many people. For other people, it's you know it's kicks. That occurred to you, Carney, that, that some like to do it, others hate to do it. So many companies have a guy around who takes positive delight in firing people. This is his only function. He fires people. Now, uh, when, you're, <laughs> when, you're, when, you're, you know, when you're that type, and you've, you know, you've been there 10 years and you've fired maybe four or 5,000 guys in your 10-year period at the company, you get a little bored and you begin to look for variations on a theme. You begin to play, play various techniques. 
And uh, I knew one guy that was so famous as a firer, as an axe man, a hatchet man, that he, he was well, not only legendary, but people used to talk about various firings. And what was so fascinating about Chester is that Chester, uh, like all great artists, did not look the part. Did not look the part. Uh, the greater the artist, the less he tends to walk around wearing a beret and having a Van Dyke. You know, like the cliché artist. The, the greater the artist, the more he tends to look like a truck driver. Uh, you know, not like an artist. Well, this guy did not look the way you would consider a firer to look. You would generally consider a man who is a majestic firer to look like a, some kind of a a sadist, you know, sitting there cackling at his desk. <laughs> Come in. Now sit down there. We're going to put the old corkscrew right into your gizzard and start twisting it. <laughs> sit still, will you now, Smithers? No way. No, no. He was absolutely the opposite. As a matter of fact, Chester was a man who had the qualities, and they're very subtle, of being instantly and universally likable. You could not help but like Chester. You just could not help. You'd see, if, even if you didn't know Chester, and you are walking along the hall, and you meet Chester in the hall, he's walking past you without even an exchange of words, you somehow felt warmer for having walked past Chester. He radiated, he did, he radiated genuine warmth, and you could actually see the milk of human kindness flowing through his veins. Chester had what we would ordinarily call a charisma. Chester was beloved by one and all, except that he was also feared like the bubonic plague. Now, meeting Chester by the water cooler was a pleasure. Chester was always there with a with a light, subtle quip. Chester remembered everybody's first name. Not only that, he remembered. Uh, little stories you had told. He would, you'd meet Chester in the hall, and Chester would start and say, "Oh, hey, gee, it's good to see you." Listen, uh, uh, you remember the story you were telling me about your friend Leonard? And you said, "Chester remembers the story I told him once at the company picnic about Leonard." And he'd say, "You know, I've been thinking about that. That's a hell of a funny story. You know, I'm, I'm going to tell my wife that story. Uh, I just refresh me a little bit. But what did Leonard say when they hit him in the mouth with the potato salad? And then you'd tell your story again. You'd walk away saying." Gee, you know, if there were more Chesters in this world, this world would be a better world. Okay, you got Chester. Now, uh, how did Chester look? Well, Chester looked a little bit like a cross between Billy Graham and Jack Lemmon. Yes, uh, Chester had a vague, humorous quality about him. You know, Jack Lemmon has this sort of humor that comes out of him. It, you can't imagine Jack Lemmon uh, becoming suddenly overnight an axe murderer. You just can't imagine Jack Lemmon, you know, Jack Lemmon slays eight with axe, runs amok. Yeah, no way. And uh, Billy Graham, on the other hand, has a certain look in the eye of a, a kind of a benevolent love for all of mankind, right? Now, it may be or may not be genuine. Here we're talking about the look, kind of a certain handsome, rugged, you know. Well... Chester was legend. <laughs> Chester was legend, and uh, Chester Chester used to used to uh, apparently plan his firings with the same kind of care, uh, preparation, recognition of timing and beat and style 
that let's say a playwright uses when he's planning a key scene in his play. He doesn't just sit down and knock off that key scene in three minutes. Yeah, you can't imagine Shakespeare. Uh, the phone rings, you know, and Shakespeare picks up the phone. He says, so "Who, who, who is thou?" And uh, the other end of the line says, "So we got to have that play. It's got, you know, opening night is in twelve minutes, Bill. Well, let's go." Ah, yes, uh, I shall finish the last scene. Just a moment. Uh, and he whips up his quill pen and knocks off the uh, the last scene of uh, of Hamlet in two and a half minutes where they carry the stricken, uh, the prince is carried off stage. Alas, indeed, I knew him well. Good night, sweet prince. He, it, he thought about this. So it was with Chester, true artist. And, and uh, people who have ever worked at this great institution, which is incidentally on the big board and all of it, wherever they gather, they do not speak of the chairman of the board. No one speaks of the man who, who made the, forged the company to a great national name. They speak of Chester. Do you have any books on how to train a guard dog? No, I'm sorry we don't. There, there, precious. Uh, say, have you tried Barnes & Noble? Barnes & Noble, of course, of course. Yes, Barnes & Noble. Sure, we have books on training dogs and catalogs on cats as well. We've got books on I Love Lucy, Judy Garland, and King Kong. Books for walkers, runners, and bikers. We've got books for people who dig the stones and Lawrence Welk fans, too. Books that tell you how to stay profitably in debt and books that tell you all about the very rich. We've got books on food co-ops, erotic theater, and how to find out things the phone company doesn't want you to know. In fact, we've got just about any book you're interested in. And don't forget that Christmas list of yours. Books make wonderful gifts, and you're sure to find a book to interest everyone on your list at the Barnes & Noble Bookstore, 5th Avenue and 18th Street in Manhattan. Barnes & Noble, of course, of course. Hey, would you like to uh, try something refreshing and tantalizingly delicious? That's a commercial phrase, tantalizingly delicious. I've never heard it in real life. Anyway, how would you like to try a drink like that on hot and sultry days? Well, try mixing the unusual Italian drink Chinar with equal parts of orange juice and 7-Up over ice. Whoo-wee! This superb third thirst quencher originated in picturesque Hollywood, Florida, and it's now called the Chinar Floridian. It's an aperitif, actually, Chinar is. In, uh, in Italy, it's been around for a long time. It's become popular in many countries of Europe and South America. So if you'd like to try something really unusual, pour it over ice and uh, ask for it at your favorite wine shop. It's called Chinar, C-Y-N-A-R. And if that guy doesn't have it, you get mean with him and uh, tell him to order it for you. Chinar. Jarevienne fragrance is a superb, elegant, truly tasteful fragrance. And, uh, you know, as a, as a non-perfume user, I am nevertheless a dedicated perfume sniffer. And uh, when anyone walks into an elevator wearing Jerevienne by worth, you know it. And, uh, you know, uh, well, I don't want to get in. I don't want to editorialize here. Uh, too many people use too much perfume, just a touch. And uh, that's all you need with worth because that little tiny touch of true elegance makes the entire difference. That's worth. W-O-R-T-H. Incidentally, the name Worth does not refer to price. It's the name of a house, a fashion house. The House of Worth. And it goes back many, many decades. 
And the, the scent is one of the great classic European scents. Jerevienne. J-E-R-E-V-I-E-N-S. Jerevienne. chocolate lover first. Well, if you're a chocolate lover, you better be careful about standing next to radiators. That's right. Uh, if you're a Manhattan area resident second, well, <laughs> Tasty Cake's got you covered, buddy. There's a Tasty Cake chocolate cupcake, for instance. Rich chocolate cake with creamy chocolate icing or a Tasty Cake chocolate candy takes, if you dare say it, in mixed company. Devil's food cake topped with buttercream. Yes, you'll love it and make you fatter and fatter and fatter. So bring home Tasty Cake Family Pack today. Let it all hang out. Look for your old gut there. It's all the good things. All the good things wrapped up in one. Yeah. Here's a great gift idea for that special someone whose feet are killing them. Now you can give them a gift of love. A T.O. Day gift certificate. T.O. Day's day metric shoes are different from ordinary shoes that are made for everyone. T.O. Day takes individual impressions of each sensitive foot. Then they custom make a pair of their day metric shoes individually designed to fit in fashion and comfort for both men and women. For a unique gift idea, one that your loved ones will treasure forever, give them a gift of love, a T.O. Day gift certificate. T.O. Day is located at 509 Fifth Avenue, just off 42nd Street, on the 8th floor. Or give them a call at Murray Hill 26100. That's Murray Hill 26100. That's T.O. Day, spelled T period, O period, capital D-E-Y. Let T.O. Day help make walking a pleasure again. Now, I, I, uh, I personally was fired by Chester. But uh, Chester was having an off day the day that uh, he fired me. I, 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 I could see that it was, it was his third firing of the day, and I came late in the day. Uh, his other two firings had been when he was fresh. Uh, he'd had time to plan them. He'd worked on them. He orchestrated them right. Uh, mine was just done, you know, casually. Like uh, like sometimes you'll see a ball player in the last minutes of a ball game. Uh, the, the game gets a little sloppy. Well, I, I knew that I wasn't fired with Chester's best work. In fact, I almost asked him, Chester, can I come back tomorrow so you can do a good job, you know? Uh, <laughs> all Chester did was he was sitting there looking kind of tired at his desk when I came in. I knew it was all over the minute I got the, the call to come to see Chester. And I walked in, and he says, oh, I said, uh, get out and pick up your check. I said, okay, Chester. I was expecting a little more, but uh, Chester was tired, and, you know, some things he just tossed off. But I will tell you this, that one of the great firings that Chester was famous for uh, reminded me of uh, some of the better dramas of uh, Willie Loman. He would have loved to have had Willie Loman walk in. Uh, he would have dealt with Willie Loman. Oh, God, he would have given him. Because, you see, Chester had a technique, which I thought was really outstanding. His technique was to imply that he was the bearer of good tidings. He would always set his victim up with great care and skill. At no point that Chester, unless uh, it was a very unimportant employee or somebody he didn't even know, would Chester come right out and say it, like in my case. This was highly unusual. That people who have uh, who have been the subject of a classical Chester firing 
have told stories that you... Uh, it, it, it makes it sound like a, like a fine, beautifully written English uh, drawing room comedy. Now, Chester would always greet his persons, his, his victim... You know, by the way, this is an English tradition, in case you're interested, that beheadings at the Tower were always done with great style. Uh, when the prince was to be beheaded, or Anne Boleyn was beheaded, when the queens were beheaded, they didn't just take her out in the backyard. No, and, you know, knock off her head with a with a cleaver. No way. It was done with full panoply. You know this. Full dress, right? Uh, the queen would arrive. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the guards would blow on bugles. Uh, trumpets would sound. Drum rolls would play. <laughs> and, and, the, and all over the country, flags would fly and dip and all. Oh, it was a fantastic thing. Well, well, of course, Chester, being a student of history, being a man of style and talent and grace, he recognized this. And so Chester's firings, one, one in particular, I remember a guy named Ellsworth that Chester fired that uh, is kind of the prototype of a great Chester firing. When uh, Ellsworth was summoned, he was summoned immediately following lunch. Now, this is done with care right there because a man after lunch has a certain warmth. He feels a certain a certain uh, relaxed quality. You know, you've had a martini or two at lunch. He's feeling kind of good. So Chester waited until about 2.30, and the call went out. At that point, when Ellsworth went up, you always have to go up. That's important. If you go down to the firer, that's, in other words, the firer's office has to be at a higher floor than yours. That's why when Anne Boleyn or when any great person was executed. They did not step down. They went up to the scaffold. Remember, that's important, to go up. To be, that's why all, all executions are always held on platforms. You've seen them. Uh, because there's a very, very definite symbolic quality. It's a, that's, a, that's very symbolic. You are, you are rising to a peak. And that peak, incidentally, is the peak of power up there. But you are below this thing, and when you look up, no matter who you are, the prince or the king, uh, the queen, who's ever being executed, you look up and you see the executioner standing up there on that power. He represents a much higher power, even a power higher than the king. He represents death. Okay. Didn't know Shepard knew all these things, did you? Well, you stick around, friend. I've thought a great deal about executioners. There's a whole subject there. <laughs> oh, yes. And so uh, so it was with Chester. Chester's office was on the top floor of the building. Very few offices were up there. And when you were down on the fourth floor and the call came to go up to the ninth floor, you were going as high as you could go in the building. And you would go up the elevator... And incidentally, this was a nice touch. The elevator only went to the eighth floor. You would proceed by foot. Like a simple penitent, proceeding by foot to the top of the ultimate mountain of doom. And so you would walk up to the ninth floor and go down a long corridor. Always oh, beautifully set up. And at the end of the long corridor, Chester had his office. And the door was always wide open. That's part of it. You see, these are the outstretched arms of death. Death is always waiting. You agree with that, Corny? Oh, yes. Always waiting. And you're always welcome. Always there. You never go up there and find death is left. 
out to lunch. Down having a, you know, having a beer and a couple of uh, salami sandwiches. No way. No way. And any time you went up to the ninth floor, Chester was always in there. And the door was wide open, waiting. And so Ellsworth told the story about how he walked that long last mile. By the way, that's also symbolic, the long last mile. And he walked that long mile down that long corridor. And it was just before Christmas. And Chester, being a man of goodwill, style, substance, and grace, had his office decorated with Christmas holly. Wreaths hung for all to see. The infant child of the Savior hanged there, symbolic, hit Santa Claus over on the right wall. And he walked the long mile, and he could see Chester was visible. You could see Chester in the next room, sitting up against the wall with the light behind him. He always worked this way. The light came in from behind him, and he would wait till the sun was just at the right angle so his head would be bathed, suffused in the golden light of the descending sun. And his desk was a large one and raised slightly, maybe a foot, foot and a half off the ground. So that when you talked to Chester, you did not speak on the same plane. One does not. That's why, incidentally, traditionally, in the English uh, executioners, were all huge men. The executioner was usually a man of maybe seven feet tall. <laughs> Giant of a man. Oh, yes, because this is the avenging angel of death. You don't want to, you know, and here you are, you're going to be executed, and this little shrimp five feet four is standing there, you know. That is a hell of a letdown. I mean, even if he has a big axe, it's still, you know... So the, the executioner is traditionally a giant of a man. And so Chester would sit high and his, his, his perch was raised about a foot and a half off the ground. And you'd come in and, and uh, Ellsworth told us the story about how he walked that long mile. He knew he was done. He knew it was all over. And of course, thoughts of suicide were going through his mind because he had two kids. It was just before Christmas. And this is all added to the, to the great immensity and the moment of the scene. Let's face it, a queen getting executed with a great deal to live for, everything going for her, is a lot more than saying your ordinary walking around foot soldier of life. Not to the foot soldier of life, that's not true. But for the sense of great drama, it is true. You will buy that, won't you? That the toppling of a king is far more dramatic than, say, a used car salesman getting fired, right? Okay, now you, you understand what we're... <laughs> so, so as he walked in there, uh, Chester always had a record player playing. He loved music, and uh, he was, again, a man of grace and goodwill. You could not help but like him. What did he like? What, did, what kind of music did Chester like? You would think that he would have some kind of evil... No, he had quiet... He loved classical music. You'd come into Chester's office, and you would hear the sound of... Uh, Mozartian fugues being played on the tape recorder, just quietly in the background. And Ellsworth says he walked in, says, Hello, Chester. By the way, that's important. Death never speaks first. You speak first. Chester would say nothing. And he says, Hello, Chester. And Chester says, Ah, Ellsworth. My God, it's good to see you. I see you got my note. And Ellsworth says, Yes. He says, sit down, Al. 
Al sits down. And he said it was amazing and eerie the way he radiated. He radiated regret. He radiated human kindness and concern for his, his fellow man. He radiated a sense of, uh, of almost inevitable tragedy. He was merely the tool in a vast set of circumstances and forces over which he had little or no control. But had he control, of course, the world would be different. And he says he actually found himself, and this is the mark of the true artist, he found himself, Ellsworth, about to be thrown into the snowy streets. His children weeping. His wife taking in washing from door to door. Just before Christmas, he found himself feeling sorrow and compassion for Chester. The mark of the true artist. It was Chester he felt sorry for because of what Chester had to do. And he says he could not fight against it. He found himself... He was... Actually, when he first got the note, his first, imp, his first, his first impulse was to go up and hit that guy in the mouth. Kick him in the bottom. Take his water cooler and pour it all over his head. Say, you know what you're going to do with your damn job? And walk out. And he was prepared to do that when he started that long mile walk. But by the time he got into Chester's office, by the time he could see the kindly light glowing in those, those pupils, rich with charisma and concern, he was feeling sorrow for Chester. Not for himself, but for Chester. Now that's the work of an artist. And Chester said to him, I don't know what to say, Al. And Ellsworth said, I, I, I know, Chet. He says, Chet, I was calling him Chet. The hatchet man. Says, I know, Chet. And he says, El dropped his right hand, opened the drawer, and took out a bottle of wild turkey brandy, the, the bourbon, the best bourbon made in the world, wild turkey. And he says, you know, El, when, when, when the word came down, well, I don't have to tell you, but three or four times a year, I get, I get the feeling that I'm just going to walk out of this place. Today, when the word came down, Al, I want to tell you, I came as close to packing it in as I've ever come in my life. You know how I... You must know how I feel, Al. And he says, I felt the tear coming in my eye. Not for my plight, but for his plight. The grief that he was suffering. For what he had to do. And I found myself standing and saying, It's going to be all right, Chet. Don't worry. I know how it is, Chet. God, you know, all the guys down in the... Down in the sales department, often say, what a rough job you've got. It's tough, Chet. And Chet says, well, I'm glad you understand that, Al. How about a little bourbon? 
Would you do me the honor of having a last drink with me? And Al said, yes, I'd love to, Chet. And Chet poured into two crystal goblets. He poured two fingers of bourbon apiece. We sat for a moment, sipping our bourbon. And he said, I found myself against my will, raising the glass. And I said, Chet, to you. I want to thank you for all you've done. Did you understand what I did, Shepard? I thanked him for what he was doing. And I could not stop it. I said, I want to thank you for all you've done. And it's been a pleasure knowing you, Chet. I'll never forget you. Chet said, Al, I, I just want to say that there have been a thousand men walk through this office, and you're the only man who's walked through this office. Here's your form. I could see that if I had stayed in that office another ten seconds or so, he might not have been able to go on. I turned and I walked that long, lonely mile down to the personnel department. He says, my God, the power of that man was such that it... I was halfway home an hour and a half later before I realized what a majestic, what a fantastic artist he really was. Yes, uh, it's always good, in a way, uh, to, to recognize artists and uh, see what kind of work they're capable of. And, and in fact, the, the uh, Chester, uh, as an artist, uh, is just legendary. And I might add that I hope that any of you out there, since this is not, uh, not the time to shilly-shally, <laughs> no shillying little shallying. But uh, uh, I just hope that any of you out there who are about to get it in the back of the neck before Christmas will have a person who has at least a small part, a small, a small element of the style of, of Chester. Incidentally, another thing about Chester, we don't want to go into this. I mean, uh, uh, he's, uh, he's such a great man. I don't like to talk about him. And in offhand style. But Chester, like all great artists, had fantastic uh, dynamics. He had he had variety. He could he could play he could play the devil as well as the savior angel. And some of his greatest firings, which I've not even discussed tonight, and I won't until later on, after the first of the year when you're ready for it, uh, some of his greatest firings or when he played the true avenging devil. In fact, I know of one man who did not recover from such a firing for at least three or four years afterwards because he instilled in the soul of this man a feeling of total inadequacy. And as a matter of fact, for the years that he had spent working for this company, he had been faking his way all the way. And he owed this company a great, immense debt for giving him at least that few years. That was another side of Chester. When his eyes would gleam with the maniacal glow of Rasputin. Yes, the mesmeric glow of the eyes of Satan himself. 
where Satan sits in the great pit, the fiery void, his tail flicking at the lava as he sits upon the shores of the river Styx. <laughs> greeting, greeting, always greeting the rising victims of their own sins. Their own sins. As that evil boatman quietly passes 